Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. LMFM Podcasts, brought to you with Cark McCross Credit Union, where dreaming of warmer climates becomes a reality with a Cark McCross Credit Union holiday loan. O'Neill Street, Cark McCross or CarkMcCrossCU.ie. Monday morning, the 20th of May. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. We'll begin our programme this morning by talking about the housing crisis on foot of a major protest which was held on Saturday. But before we do, I just want to mention a story you may be familiar with. Earlier this month, a 45-year-old man, Seamus Marley, was convicted of the rape and sexual assault of two boys in a Republican safe house in County Louth. Marley is alleged to have been a member of the IRA. The judge in this case said Marley used his long standing in the Republican movement, uh, movement capable of clandestine killings to silence his victims and sent him to prison for seven years. The victims made no comment on the verdict, but later today, Paddy McMahon, one of the victims, will break that silence and join us in studio. But first, housing and how an estimated 5,000 people took part in a major rally in Dublin protesting over housing and the lack of it and indeed the homelessness situation under the Raise the Roof banner. We're joined by Father Peter McVerry, a Jesuit priest who works with the homeless and a very good morning Peter as always and thank you indeed for taking the time to be with us here this morning. That was a a major turnout uh, on Saturday and I suppose uh, demonstrates how strongly so many people feel about this problem but it's a problem that continues to worsen it just goes on and on and on you know the government produced their strategy to uh, to tackle homelessness and housing two years and ten months ago and since then homelessness keeps rising rents keep rising house prices keep rising and indeed Dublin City Council predicts <clears throat> that homelessness is going to continue increasing for at least the next three years. The prediction on rents is they will rise by a further 17% over the next three years. And house prices continue to be beyond the reach of the majority of Irish households. So really, just the problem just keeps getting worse and worse and worse at every level. And yet we hear the government every month when the new figures come out on homelessness Mm. say our strategy is working. (laughs) 
it just baffles me how they can say that with a straight face. The strategy clearly is not working. We need to go back to the drawing board and we need to uh, produce new policies. It's odd because the Minister for Housing, Owen Murphy, was asked uh, to make a comment following the protest on uh, Saturday, Saturday and he said there's been a 23% increase in home bills for the first three months of this year and he said that's the evidence that things are moving in the right direction. Well, it's not been seen on the ground. I think the big difference is that the government are depending on the market to solve this problem. And that's what he means by there are more and more houses being built. They're depending on the market to solve this problem. The market is not going to solve the problem. It may solve the problem of housing at the higher end of the of the market where people can afford rents and afford to buy houses, but it is certainly not going to solve the problem at the lower end of the market. We are arguing that the government have to take responsibility for housing, that they have to vastly increase the build of social housing and affordable housing, that there is enough land held by the state to build 140,000 houses, And what they have been doing so far is selling that land to private interest, private developers, in return for 20 or 30 percent social housing being built on it. That's a waste of valuable uh, state resources. So we got to change tack from depending on the private sector to solve this problem to the government taking control of the problem themselves and building mm. and providing social and affordable housing themselves. Okay, and there's a, around 10,000 people who are homeless in uh, this uh, country. It's not just uh, the homeless problem, though, that is an issue when it comes to, to housing. I think the exact figure is 10,305 uh, and almost 4,000 of them are children. 3,821 are, are children. Uh, but there's all kinds of issues relating to housing. Uh, and you were saying uh, this weekend uh, that there are at least a half a million people who live in this country who are stressed out because of housing problems of one sort or another. There are, uh, and that's a very conservative estimate. Some people put it up higher, maybe at 800,000. But we're talking about people living in overcrowded households. I, I know of three or four generations of one family living in a three-bedroom house because there's nowhere else to go. We're talking about people in appalling conditions, conditions in the private rented sector who are afraid to complain because the consequence may be they will be evicted and become homeless. People living in good quality private rented accommodation, but paying 60 or even 75% of their rent, some of them, on keeping a roof over their head. That's an appalling, you work hard all month long, and at the end of the month, you hand over 75% of your wages uh, to the landlord. That's an appalling situation for somebody to be in. And the consequence is they go short on food and other, other basic necessities. And then you have, of course, the elephant in the room that nobody's talking about, the mortgage arrears in, in arrears of more than two years. Mm. 40,000 households uh, face eviction. Uh, are their home being sold to uh, to vulture funds and subsequently facing eviction uh, because of their, their mortgage arrears, which are not sustainable. And they're afraid to open the post in the morning in case it's a letter from the bank mm. <laughs> threatening uh, repossessions. So, and then, of course, there's the 20s and 30s and 40s who are still living with their parents because they can't afford to move out. So it's not just a homeless crisis. The homelessness is simply the most extreme and visible consequence 
of a totally dysfunctional housing system. It's the housing system we have to fix, and uh, there is no sign of that being fixed at the moment. Is it possible, or has it gone past it at this stage? Well, what the government are doing, they're taking little baby steps to try and solve the problem. So they've increased the height at which apartments can be built. They've reduced the size of apartments. They've reduced the requirement for car parking space, all in an effort to encourage developers to build more apartments. But baby steps are not going to solve this problem. We need far more radical action. The majority of people today who are becoming newly homeless are being evicted from the private rented sector because the landlord says they're selling their house. Mm. We are calling for an end to evictions for at least, for say, a period of three years, just while this crisis we can deal with, an end to evictions into homelessness uh, for for a period of three years. So that a landlord, if they wanted to sell their house or had to sell their house, could only sell to another landlord? Well, not necessarily. They could uh, they could sell with the uh, well. They they could uh, they they could hold off selling for three years. That's going to be inconvenience for some landlords, but mm. it's only an inconvenience. But it may not be the possible, alternative yeah. to that for me is if they want to sell the house, they should give the local authority first refusal, so that the local authority could look at buying the house, keeping the tenants in it, and then the local authority has an extra social or affordable house say on their on their stock. Mm. But we have to find some way of addressing this problem beyond simply saying we're building more houses. You know, during the uh, the Celtic Tiger, we built 90,000 houses during the, uh, the end of the Celtic Tiger, and house prices were still at record levels. Just building more houses doesn't necessarily on its own solve this problem. Mm. Uh, and of course, uh, there's the question of uh, affordability then. You were talking about uh, younger people uh, in their 20s, sometimes in their 30s and sometimes in their 40s living with their parents. Uh, is that because they can't afford to rent or they're trying to save on rent to try and afford a mortgage, do you think? Well, it's both. Some of them simply can't afford to rent. Uh, you know, I've heard anecdotally stories of Gardaí who lived down the country to, to save money, uh, having to uh, having to sleep in their car uh, when they come to Dublin for because they can't simply afford mm. the, uh, the the petrol to come up and down home after each shift. Uh, it's people who either can't afford to pay the rent or they want to try and save a deposit uh, in order to secure a house. And there's no hope of saving a deposit if you're playing, paying at €2,000 a month for your, uh, for your rent for, for most people. <coughs> mm. OK, I suppose people expressed themselves over the weekend. What was it achieved by the rally, do you think? Well, it's the, uh, it's the third in a series of rallies that have been held. On each occasion, the numbers uh, seem to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And I think it does uh, put pressure on government. Uh, and hopefully it will encourage people when uh, the politicians are coming to their doors now for the local and European elections to ask them what are they going to do about housing. They, we have to keep housing up at the front of a. Uh, uh, of the of the the, the, the issues, mm-hmm. it is the most serious issue facing Irish society at the moment, a uh, most serious social issue, uh, and the government have acknowledged that uh, they've declared an emergency, <laughs> but they haven't done anything to, uh, to 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 deal with an emergency. 
So we just have to keep the pressure on and say, look, this is not acceptable. And, and do you really believe that? I mean, the government, as you said at the outset, continuously tells they're making progress, they're throwing everything at it, and we're being asked to be patient. It's going to take time. But I, I think you said instead of it being a crisis, it's going to turn into a catastrophe. Well, the mortgage is coming down the road. If the central bank estimates that at least half of those 40,000 mortgages are in arrears of more than two years are going to be repossessed. Now, not all households who are evicted uh, on repossession will become homeless. Some will go and live with their parents, probably again in overcrowded households. Some may go to England or or elsewhere. But if even a fraction of those become homeless, uh, this country will not be able to cope. it, it just will become a, a total catastrophe and we will have no way. We will see families living in parks and sleeping in guard stations. OK, we'll leave it there for the moment and uh, thank you indeed uh, for joining us uh, this morning. Jesuit priest, Father Peter McVerry, who works with the homeless. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now to uh, vote uh, from members of SIPTU on as to whether to strike or not and how uh, workers will withdraw their labour next month. Uh, we're joined by SIPTU Health Division organiser Paul Bell, who's in studio with us uh, to tell us more about this. There were two votes in actual fact were there uh, and uh, a massive result a uh, massive majority uh, in both of these ballots uh, for strike action uh, tell us about the staff who are involved well the staff that are involved in this dispute Michael one is the the, the cohort of chefs uh, which is a, a national group there's around 1,000 chefs that work in the HSC and related agencies throughout the country and the other group are uh, support staff members who work throughout the different grades in the hospitals, healthcare assistants, porters, people who work in uh, sterilisation mm. settings, uh, theatre household, people like that. Yeah. But 17,000 of them. I should have, uh, so it's about, that's, that's the mm. kind of group that's involved. Well, an important aspect Absolutely. of it because hospitals can't function without these people. Well, there's a amount of debate about that, Michael, and I'm sorry to be a little bit facetious because, you see, up to this point... Uh, it's been never recognised that these people are core to the functioning of a hospital. Mm. Uh, with media and with the HSE and the Department of Health and others, it seems to be that these people are invisible, uh, that they don't really count and that the agreements that they have, whether it's the public service to build the agreement or other agreements, actually don't count and somewhere along the line they can be ignored. Yeah. Now that's been going on since 2015 when SIP2, as part of the Irish Congress of Trade Union, signed up to the Public Service Stability Agreement at that time, yeah. which was the Lansdowne Road 1 agreement. OK, but I suppose that perception is understandable to a degree, because when you go into a hospital, you want to see a doctor or a nurse or whatever the case may be. Yeah. But uh, you'll yeah. soon be asking where the chef is if you're not fed, or why you can't get uh, to uh, the theatre if uh, you need to be brought for a scan or something. Absolutely. Yeah. And then you have the healthcare assistant group who are providing more and more mm. high levels of care in support of the nursing colleagues. So let's be very clear about that. Uh, the job evaluation process, which has given rise to an increase in salary for these groups, was suspended for nearly nine years because of the economic crisis. And what has happened in that period, the groups involved who are now due monies, when the independent evaluation process was conducted, it found that these people have been underpaid for some considerable time. But nevertheless, that was the contribution they made to try and save the public health mm. service, to try and maintain services to the most vulnerable in our society. So at this stage, as far as we are concerned in SIP2, the government have to honour the agreement that they've signed up to. There can be no more frustration of that agreement 
and that the awards made under the job evaluation scheme for those, by the way, Michael, who have been successful, because there are obviously cohorts of mm. grades of members who have not been successful, that the government should honour the agreement in full and set a date for payment. So this is a dispute over pay, but pay that has been agreed, pay increases yeah. that have been Absolutely. agreed, but just haven't been honoured. It's a mechanism. Okay. Uh, the job evaluation mechanism is there. It's not like a clear cost increasing claim. I think also, to put it in context, Michael, what has really, really aggravated Air Members is that on the same day in 2015, uh, another group were offered back their job evaluation process, which Mm -hmm. are for managers and senior officers, and that is being honoured to the full letter. In other words, when somebody goes forward for a job evaluation, if they're deemed to be successful, well, then they're obviously upgraded onto a new scale. Mm. That has severely aggravated Air Membership in the sense of being treated less equally. Now, the point that you make about the the, the vote, there were two votes, obviously. Mm. There was one for strike action and one for industrial action. And the range goes between 94% to 96%. But within that vote, Michael, let's be very clear, there's a number of grievances. Mm. It's not just about the job evaluation. It's about the recruitment embargo. Uh, It's about the way people feel they've been treated and disregarded. It's a way that uh, the silly challenge of those people having their jobs outsourced, mm. and especially when you see the amount of money that's been spent by government on the National Children's Hospital, which is actually costing the development, a capital development, mm. of other projects throughout the country. Okay, that may be feeding into people's thinking, yeah. but the vote was taken on this yes. issue of pay increases, which you say Absolutely. are due. How much is at stake? Well, for some uh, workers, it's 1,500 to 1,600 euros per year, and for others, it's 3,200 euros. It ranges between 6 to 12%, mm. depend, depending how basically you've jumped. Some people would be on band 3 and they would go to band 2. A small minority, uh, believe it or not, will go from band 3 to band 1. Uh, and that just shows how the job has developed. Mm. Remember, too, that the HSE has accepted the outcome of the job evaluation process. The Department of Public Expenditure Reform they have been the ones that have basically blocked any progress being made. Now, it needs to be said, Michael, because on your introduction there, we talked about having a dispute mm. of some description in June, and that is correct. At some stage, uh, probably next week, we'll be announcing the most appropriate action, where these actions are going to take place. There are 36 facilities. One of them is right here on our doorstep, mm-hmm. Our Lady of Lords Hospital. Uh, and then, obviously, it will be decided, well, what can we do to make possibly get to a space where there's meaningful negotiation. But the ball is firmly with the Department of Public Expenditure and Reform. How much is it going to cost the department? Uh, For the support staff group, it's 15 million euros. For the chefs, it's 2.9 million euros. Mm. Now, these are agreements. Money's been found for many things, but this agreement has to be honoured. So much so that in Croke Park on Friday, we had a pay justice convention, And what people are basically saying is, if this is not honoured, well then what's the point of being signing up to Mm. the public service to build the agreements, holding air power to the bargain, and how are we going to negotiate a new public service agreement with this in mind? Mm. We want it honoured. These are for the lowest paid people in the health service. We do believe that the government know that they have to pay this money. They made no provision in, in the budget for 2019, which is extremely disappointing. When, if, when the HSE had flagged, these costings were going to arise and they needed to be settled. Now, I'm not saying that the window for negotiation is, is closed, but I am saying this. It's making it extremely difficult where we have to serve notice to impact on 36 facilities 
and then there has to be some kind of uh, negotiation. Mm. Uh, we've made it quite clear that uh, we're not meeting the Department of Public Expenditure Reform anymore on the basis to allow them to continually make a statement. We want to negotiate, we want to know the implementation dates, mm. and we want to know that they understand that they must honour the agreement for us as they had for others. And is this industrial action uh, that uh, you're looking at uh, going to take place in phases? Uh, because, I mean, you can't just withdraw your labour. You literally close down the hospitals in question. Well, our members have decided that they would prefer that we would commence a course of industrial action. However, that means, Michael, that there will be days of strike action. Mm. That's the preferred option at this stage. Days or hours? Oh, it could be. Well, it can be ranged from hours to days. Mm. Uh, but that's the kind of action that our members want to get involved in. And the reason is, and it's a very simple question, and it's a good question that you pose, is because our members do not want to have a serious negative impact on the service users mm. for those facilities. Like that's that's the the position we're in, mm. because. What's going to happen is people are going to finally realise, if there is a dispute, the value that these workers, low paid as they are, mm. actually bring to the health service. And that f- that focus has only come about in the last number of weeks when this dispute was being balded on. Mm. And remember, Michael, some people have actually balded in on these issues and they're not actually going to receive a positive outcome. In other words, they haven't been evaluated. Mm. What this is now about is the honouring of the public service stability agreement, the protection of the public service stability agreement, and to give confidence that there will be a new public service stability agreement into the future, which has served the country well. Like, and our members have honoured their part of the bargain. Okay, and is it that the industrial action uh, could differ from uh, institution to institution, that you could see yes. workers come off the job for an hour or two yes. in Our Lady of Lords Hospital, but not elsewhere? You could see yeah. that happen, developing. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we want to do now is have a further consultation with each individual facility to see what's best suits there. Uh, but we do know this. If we are continuing to be ignored, mm. our members are prepared to go to full hug and take whatever action is necessary. We've made it quite clear to government over the weekend, you want to talk to us, we're available to talk to you. We're not available to repeat positions, we're available to negotiate. And we're also available if somebody else has to come in and assist us with that. We've we've made no bones about that. Mm. Um, There's there's a place, there possibly is a place for the Workplace Relations Commission. But they're decisions that will have to be made sometime into the future. No response from government as yet. Our government have responded. They've said that this is a matter for the National Oversight Body. Mm. And we say to that, sorry, nobody has referred this issue to the National Oversight Body. Remember, the Health Service Executive and the Department of Health say that these monies are owed. What they haven't got is the monies to pay. So that's been the kind of the kind of nonsense that's been going on over the, the, the last couple of days. But I'm sure as we come closer to the date for action, that there'll be a more focused attention on the issues that our members are presenting. OK, come back and uh, update us when that's possible. And thank you for joining us thank uh, you, this morning. Paul Bell, SIP2 Health Division Organiser. Now, I'm not sure if you've uh, checked your numbers, but let's hear uh, what somebody uh, may be in store for if they do. We're joined uh, by Robert McGee, spokesperson for the National Lottery. And uh, a very good morning to you, Robert, and uh, thanks for joining us. The likelihood here in this part of the world uh, this morning is uh, that somebody's sitting on quite a fortune. Indeed, and thanks very much for having me on. But yeah, look, look, it's it's, it's fantastic news for someone who would have woken up to this great news yesterday. Um, so yeah, look, another 24 hours in, and 
we've just opened our, I suppose, our claimed hotline, and uh, we've just opened our doors there at nine o'clock. And as of as of the first couple of minutes of the day, no one has come forward yet. But look, still early days, so look, we're really uh, asking our, I suppose, our Drogheda and Louth players. So look, if you if you buy your your, your lot of ticket in Drogheda, or if you have happened to, to pass that Tesco store, so that's the test the Tesco Extra on Donor Road in Drogheda, that you do check your tickets very very carefully this morning because you could be six point one, well over six point one million better off really that's it <laughs> that's a lot of money uh, not a lot when you say it quickly but it, it really is a, a lot of money uh, or, or, or uh, how does that compare with uh, other jackpots well, in terms of this year, it's the fourth jackpot one, Lotto jackpot one this year, um, and it's the third highest. But it's also the second Lotto jackpot that's been won in Loud this year alone. So, the the Wee County is certainly punching above its weight in terms of uh, in terms of Lotto wins. Um, so look, yeah, but look, six, mm. six, six, it's almost six point two million. It's 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 not to be sniffed at. It it, it really is a life changing prize. Like you could do so much with this. Well, a lot of us could do quite a, a bit with the point two million. Uh, but uh, exactly. So if you're sitting in traffic listening to this yep. this morning, like you could do that, that that money could do a lot for you. Tesco Extra on the Donor Road in Drogheda, one seven nine eighteen twenty two and thirty three. The bonus was seventeen. 17. It's worth six point two million euro, yeah. uh, as you say. Uh, if somebody has the ticket in their possession they're looking at it right now what should they do for security reasons if, look for, if you're looking at them and you're after matching all them six numbers on Saturday Night's Lotto Draw what we'll advise you to do is first of all first and foremost is stay calm um, and then look carefully carefully check that this ticket is is right give us a call so give our prize claims team and I'm going to give you that number now it's 01836 so if you speak to our uh, prize claims team, they'll validate your ticket. Make sure you sign the back of that ticket. Now, I can't state how important it is that you get your signature on the back of it. And look, once you you, you talk to our prize claims team, we'll arrange for you to come in and collect your prize whenever and, and however suits yourself. And uh, can you stay anonymous or do you have to go public? Of course, of course. Now, look, a very small percentage of uh, national lottery winners go public. So look, that is completely and utterly with the player and up to their own discretion as well. Again, it's something we can chat through when they when when they get in touch with us. Okay, and uh, if you don't want to claim it today, how long have you got before uh, uh, it's no longer valid? And look, we we're, we're, we're very early in this process here. Mm. So winners, all winners have ninety days to claim their prize from, right, and that's okay. from the date of the draw. So, like, we're what eighty-eight days, eighty-eight days. Look, but I'm mm. sure we'll be hearing from this winner sooner rather than later. I'm sure we will. All right. Well, listen. Uh, congratulations to them if they're listening, and thanks for joining us this morning, Robert McGee, spokesperson for the you. National Lottery. Michael Reed on LMFM. On the 24th of May, you're being asked to vote in the local and European elections as well as a referendum on divorce. In this constituency, there are 17 candidates hoping to take one of the four seats in the European Parliament and we're joined by one of the candidates today, Mairead McGuinness, who's a Fine Gael MEP in this constituency, the Midlands North West. And a very good morning to you and thank you for coming in to us. Good today. morning, Michael. We're hoping to speak to all of uh, the 17 candidates uh, before polling day, and uh, I'm sure many people are, are familiar with you. I think you're probably a household name uh, at this stage. Uh, so uh, maybe you'd uh, tell us why you'd like to return to the European Parliament. 
Well, when you say I'm a household name, sometimes that can be good or bad. But mm. I suppose I have been in politics uh, for some time. And the reason, I think there's one particular and important reason why I would like to be returned to the European Parliament. For this um, region, it is Brexit. Because in the last few weeks, it has been off the agenda. But it hasn't gone away. And it has troubled me, in fact, that during this very vital election campaign, we mm. haven't had more discussion about it. I was very pleased yesterday when the Thornish to Simon Coveney made some very strong remarks about the reality of where we are today, that British politics is in turmoil. Of that, there is no doubt. Um, I had no hope that the Labour Party and the Conservatives would reach an agreement and we would all move forward. Mm. And unfortunately, that is now the case. But the impact... Uh, of all of that inaction is that there is likely to be a new leader of the Conservative Party because we will have a vote again in the House of Commons which no one expects will get through and then I predict we will have a leader that may not suit our purpose but that is their decision but I expect there will be a general election so as I sit here um, with a few days to go to Mm. the elections to the European Parliament I'm conscious that the United Kingdom will have members in the European Parliament the following week. Many of them will belong to Many Nigel Farage's to the Brexit, Brexit. and, and mm. UKIP. Mm-hmm. They will not be as strong as many think. In other words, I don't think they will increase hugely their, mm. their support. But I think it's really important from an Irish point of view, where we have 11 MEPs today, 13 when Brexit happens, that there are people who have been with this issue from the very beginning mm. and who have the, I suppose, the capacity to deal with it. And one of the things I undertook in the last three years was to get a place on the Constitutional Affairs Committee because that deals with Brexit. So to some extent, I have been doing nothing but eat, sleep and drink this issue. And a lot of my work is private. There's a public face that I have to do, but there's also the private negotiations with British colleagues to try and convince them that their hard line is a bad line, Mm. is damaging not just to our interests as their near neighbour, but damaging to their own interests as a big country, as a global player. And to some extent, progress on that front is very slow. And I don't take any pleasure in what I see in the United Kingdom. You have a very divided society. Bitterness is deeper now than it was three years ago, you have a horribly divided House of Commons that seem unable to make a decision to either move Brexit towards a natural conclusion, which is that the Mm. UK leave, or to say maybe we need to rethink this. So I would hope that the next parliament, and if I'm part of it, would maintain our strong voice, but our calm voice on these issues, on Brexit and how it will impact not just the region I represent of mm. Midlands, North West, but our entire country. Is Do you believe that there'll be 13 Irish seats in the Parliament? Um, well, if I think it's a really good question, Michael, because... A, a roundabout way of asking if you believe there'll that be a Brexit. Yeah. Well, I know people are at this stage are asking me that question. Yeah. I suppose mm. it's the most frequently asked question. I have to say my husband thinks it won't and, and maybe he has more consideration of this Mm. issue. I have to believe that we respect the view and the vote of the referendum in the United Kingdom. If the United Kingdom come to a view that they need to soften their cough or to re-vote, then I'm happy to see that. But to some extent they need to come around to understand the consequences of their vote. Mm. Some who are on the hard line would rather lose economically and socially just to get Brexit over the line. But there are more considered voices in the United Kingdom who understand that it is not in their interests to have a hard Brexit and in fact are working towards trying to soften it. The difficulty, and you and I have discussed mm. this over many months with the withdrawal agreement, is that those who oppose it come from 
the hardline Brexiteers and those who want to remain. Mm. And therefore, we almost have an impossible scenario of how will she ever get, the Prime Minister, ever get a majority in favour of this withdrawal agreement. Now, the idea that we would change the political declaration is open and we can do that. But you heard what the Labour Party leader said. He doesn't believe that any commitments given by the current leadership of the Conservative Party would be honoured. So there's a complete lack of trust, Mm. almost a lack of faith in the political system itself. And as things stand, they can't leave without a a deal. Well, you see, this is what's fascinating. Mm. I mean, some of like the the would-be leader of the Conservatives, Boris Johnson, Mm. believes he can. He thinks he can open the door, walk out and slam it. Mm. And in fact, you can't. And ignore the will of the Commons. And ignore, exactly, Mm. ignore the will of his own Parliament, but also ignore the reality of how we do business as democracies. Mm. I mean, he's part of the European Union. The whole reason for it is that people sit down and thrash things out. It takes forever. It's complicated. It's not a a headline grabber. He likes to do his politics in headlines. And I suppose that is a bigger issue for us as politicians. We have to be so careful that in this rush towards you're either for it or against it, whatever the subject Mm. is, we are doing politics by headlines and not by depth. And that's the way we're running the the world, isn't it? And I would hope that Mm. in my work in the Parliament, over the years I've been there that people understand I I actually look at detail I reflect a great deal on the challenges that confront me I don't make decisions to favour one or the other to garner support I do what I believe is right it doesn't always get people rallying to you but I have to work on the basis that I'm elected there's very few of us in the European Parliament representing this country I'm elected to reflect if you like, the best I can do of the will of the people that I represent. And as I've gone round the constituency, now my area is smaller because we've Mm. divided the constituency. You know, I've been very heartened by people and their reaction. I had a lovely reaction I pulled into by the newspaper in Drogheda there. And this lovely man, I'd forgotten, of course, my name is plastered all over the family car, so I couldn't be missed. And he said, are you Mairead McGuinness? And I said, I am. Mm. So he had a lovely chat with me about my work and whatever. I said, I'm going in to see Michael Reid. Oh, he said, don't let that (laughs) fella get the better of you. I have to say that's yeah, exactly really? what it's Okay, so, very good. Yeah. So, but people mm, are very. I mm. mean, it's a different election than yeah, five years it ago. It is. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah I presume mm. you're finding that from candidates. Mm. I think, with great relief, I say the mm. country is in a better place. Yeah. Not everything is fixed, and you addressed mm. homelessness earlier, but but people are working again, and mm. you see that reflected in. You know, even people are smiling and we went through such a terrible time. Uh, This country has been through awful heartache and people are still suffering. But there is a sense in which we we are getting to a better place. And I suppose Brexit threatens that. Global issues threaten it. Trade wars, which um, the uh, President of the United States wants us to get involved in, really threaten us. And I suppose I'm mindful of when I go into schools and they're learning about Europe and the Blue Star Programme and the Ambassador School Programme and so many schools in Louth and me that are involved in all of that. I, I'm mindful, as one uh, young child, I, I think it was in a school in Mead, said to me, could we have a war again? And I, I, I'm sad to see little minds worrying about that. And I always say to them, well, look, the whole reason we sit down and talk forever, which is what we do in politics, mm. is to try and make sure that we don't fight. That where we have disagreement, we can sort it through debate, discussion and have open minds. And again, going back to your question about this division in politics, um, I'm troubled that it is almost seen as a weakness if you're prepared to listen to somebody else and change your mind. That compromise, which is the very basis Mm. of how I have worked in the European Parliament, is now regarded as something weak rather than a strength 
that you can bring people with you on a journey. There is a little bit of cynicism, though, about the Fine Gael campaigns, I think, this year, and two announcements in particular, the National Broadband Plan and, indeed, the emergency aid, which was announced by Commissioner Hogan for the farmers. Is Fine Gael trying to make fools of the people? No, and I I'm a Fine Gael representative yes. and I do not make fools <laughs> of anybody and, and I would be appalled um, if anyone tried to do that. I have great respect for people and what I value in this election campaign is going out and listening to people wherever they are mm. um, and I'm like a sponge. I absorb their issues. On the two points you raise about broadband and the beef issue, I would have preferred we had made those announcements earlier because I think on the farming issue there is a burning anger amongst beef farmers. A, a lot of this problem is called caused by a Brexit ripple before Brexit has happened. So I had pushed Commissioner Hogan to try and come up with some support sooner, but at least we have it now. On broadband, I I dislike, and I'm reading it even in the paper this morning, this idea that we have um, an urban-rural divide and that urban people Mm. now don't like this plan. The people I talk to want broadband and the the amount of money is large today, but if you spread that over the time of this project and it delivers broadband to the furthest reaches of my constituency and elsewhere in this country, it is a good thing. And even those political opponents who would question the announcement, none of them are questioning the fact that we do need good broadband. But there are, there are interesting issues that mm. have come up and one or but two in But not at any cost, I think is the no, point. I, I, or absolutely uh, in not. a way that would enrich people unnecessarily. Well, I, I agree with you on both mm. of those points. But I, I would also stress that the amount of money is spread over the lifetime of the project and it will deliver benefits mm. to the regions. A lot of people now are wanting to get out of the commute from Dublin. There are companies in the Midlands region and who want staff. Mm. That has been an interesting twist in this campaign. The number of small businesses who say to me, we cannot get staff, we have vacancies. Another issue raised with me in Drogheda when I campaigned here on Friday um, with Councillor Richie Culhan and Deputy Fergus O'Dowd, uh, one of the retailers made a point. He said, you know, I am probably the last generation in this family business. He had a fabulous mm. shop. And a bit like farming, he said, there isn't going to be a generation to take over. Sons and daughters aren't interested. I think we need to do something on that issue to plan for the future of our towns and our streets. And also, while broadband Mm. benefits, I I have a concern that broadband also, when you come to online shopping, creates a distance between people. You don't meet as much. And secondly, the waste stream from products bought online is enormous. Okay, I have to stop you there because we're out of time. Uh, I think that man will be glad uh, that I, I didn't get the better of you. <laughs> because, uh, <laughs> Look, I uh, thought it was nice yeah, that he knew you, Michael. Yeah, and yeah, me to too, Elena. believe me. <laughs> <laughs> I think all of the interviews uh, in this campaign have been softer because of uh, the climate, but that may change next week and uh, or this week, actually, because you'll be back in with us uh, for a, a debate uh, just before polling day. And thank you for coming in to us. Uh, Good this morning, morning to you, Michael. Good morning to you. Fine Gael MEP, Mairead McGuinness. Michael Reed on LMFM. On the 24th of May, you'll be asked to vote in the local and European elections as well as a referendum on divorce. Our local election pre-election coverage will feature debates with candidates from each of the local areas every day in the run-up to polling day. We hope to speak to as many local election candidates as possible. The larger political parties have selected which candidates to put forward or asked LMFM to select candidates by holding draws while independents and others are 
are being chosen to participate through draws. Today, we'll hear from four candidates in County Meath. After the break, we'll debate the issues with Tommy Riley, a Fianna Fáil candidate, and Seamus McMenamin, a Green Party candidate, both of whom are contesting seats in the Navan electoral area. Caroline Lynch is a candidate for Sinn Féin, and Noel French, a Fine Gael candidate, both contesting seats in the Trim electoral area. Michael Reed on LMFM. Uh, the candidates with us uh, today for our debate are uh, Tommy Riley of Finney Fall, Seamus Mac Menamin of the Green Party, Caroline Lynch of Sinn Fein, and Noel French of Finnegan. Three of the four candidates are sitting councillors. Uh, good morning to all of you. Morning. Thanks morning. for coming into us. Uh, but uh, we'll ask Seamus Mac Menamin to begin uh, this morning as uh, the non-elected candidate with us uh, this morning. Why? Have you decided to put your name forward and why the Green Party? Well, I, I think um, I've been a member of the Green Party now for about 12 years. And for me, it's really um, seeing the writing on the wall a number of years ago that the issues that were sort of considered niche or um, sort of uh, special interest now are mainstream. And uh, really, we're saying that um, really the evidence is that we need to really change the way we're doing things at all levels of government, national and local government. And really, that's what motivated me to to stand because I think we need a fresh perspective looking at these uh, problems. And uh, I think certainly um, the the Green Party is that for me because I think the environment and the climate crisis is going to be the main issue of the the next decade in politics. Okay, and somewhat related, uh, illegal dumping, uh, which I I think you've raised uh, as Mm. an issue, as one of your priority issues. Indeed, uh, it's an issue that uh, an awful lot of people have not just become accustomed to because it's so commonplace, but uh, have become very annoyed about. Yeah, and and even in Meath, we saw that during the last summer in the heatwave, some of the uh, bog fires and gorse fires, the fire brigade identified illegal dumping as one of the reasons why they were so difficult to treat. And I suppose there's there's a number of ways of looking at this. Obviously, the people that are doing fly tipping illegal dumping, there needs to be enforcement and uh, of the laws and uh, and that. But we can look at it another way and say that you know there's a lot of responsibility put on individuals to recycle waste that comes into their house, and there's very little responsibility put on the companies that produce the waste. And I think certainly we need to probably tackle it uh, on a number of fronts. So rather than just concentrating on the the, the fly tip, we need to look at well, why is it happening. And particularly with with regard to access to uh, you know proper recycling facilities, the costs that can be incurred for people doing that, the access. So we know that you know every so often there are, um, you know, uh, they will have a, a special sort of day for for recycling hazardous chemicals or recycling things. Mm-hmm. You know, but, but they might be in Kells and there might be anything in Nav and there might be anything in Trim, and uh, we know. So I think there 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 needs to be then a look at the. Companies like if you go into the supermarket and you know your bananas are wrapped in plastic, well, why is that and why should they have to be? Because you have to you have to bring that home and recycle that yourselves, and sometimes even pay for the privilege. So I think certainly there needs to be a range of measures looking at waste because certainly people it, it, it's becoming. A- One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. It's that time of the year. 
Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Yeah, indeed, uh, I think uh, enough pressure has been put on some of the supermarkets uh, to change that policy and to give you somewhere mm. at the end of uh, the aisle to recycle. No, French, you did raise that issue of fly tipping as I did a, a factor uh, in the course for us. Yeah. Consistently, mm-hmm. throughout mm-hmm. Uh, my five years, I have asked about uh, litter and uh, dog poo. And I think we've talked a good bit here about dog poo. I've been very inventive in coming up with different ideas to highlight the issue of dog poo. And uh, I have been highlighting a number of green issues as Mm. well with regard to climate change plan, uh, which we agreed at a council uh, um, three years ago. It took two years then to get it developed. I've supported passive housing. We are meeting climate change on the doorstep and it is something we need to address. It is something we have failed failed to address. The big thing about uh, litter and dog fouling is the number of fines that are issued and the number of fines that are paid. And... uh, about a third of fines go unpaid, which is crazy. And I agree with Seamus as well that um, big companies are putting packaging on on, on mm. goods and leaving it to, to us, the consumer, to dispose of it. And it does come, uh, the government does, and at the EU level, we do have to put pressure on the manufacturers because recycling uh, to a certain extent uh, is uh, a huge responsibility for a consumer and how much of the uh, material that Mm. goes into the recycling bins is actually recycled I don't think we have anybody recycling plastic in this country at the moment China used to take it all but uh, um, so people are putting plastic into their recycling bins and where is it going? Mm. Where? I think it's going to the dumps or incinerators That's it Anybody know? Well, I think mm. they, when they when China stopped taking segregated, uh, mm. uh, unsegregated waste, mm. um, they they tried to use. I think Hong Kong was taking it for briefly, um, but I think now at the minute, um, some of it was being exported into Europe. But mm. I think the, there's a, certainly a lack of clarity about the rest of it because we know, for example, there are plastics, the film plastics are recycled in Europe, Europe but they're not here in Ireland mm. um, there's a bit of doubt about the hard plastics so I suppose the, the difficulty is that often for commercial reasons the, the information isn't given out and we don't know where this stuff is going but mm. I, I would share Noel's suspicion that it's going into landfill a lot of it Right, okay, well uh, a lot of you uh, are, are concerned uh, about 
the dog poo on the streets, the litter on the streets, the litter in the fields and so on. And uh, I think a lot of you are concerned about tourism uh, as well. And I suppose one impacts on the others. Uh, on the other. Is there anything that uh, Mead County Council can do uh, as a local authority, Caroline Lynch, to improve on people's behaviour? Because a lot of this is behavioural. Well, I, I definitely think there is things that we can do. I mean, one of the things that we've tried to do, I, I've um, asked uh, Meath County Council to look at contract at tender stage with the companies uh, that are in the recycling centres to, to, you know, reduce the charges for certain groups like voluntary mm. and community groups so that they're, they're charged. So that's being looked at at the minute. Um, I think in terms of, of poverty and family Households, I think that needs to be looked at. Mm. Um, if you go and do your supermarket shopping, every single one of us have bins full of, of plastic that's yeah. not necessary. So I think if there was a connection between what you buy in the supermarket, the reduction in plastic waste and the price of your shopping mm. at the end of the week, I think that would be hugely encouraging. So I think mm. um, young people... Could the council bring in a, a bylaw to have all supermarkets follow what Lidl are doing uh, at the end of the checkout you can unwrap everything yeah uh, that could be done that's, yes I think mm-hmm. that that's the sort of thing that we need to be looking at and I also think we need to enhance well, the cost nothing as well exactly and enhance the energy mm. of young people Michael um, if you look at the recent uh, day out from school where mm. young people got exercised around it they're, they're the generation that this is going to affect mm. the most and I think we need to be consulting with them much more closely about how we can help them as councillors because they've got the ideas and the energy. But I certainly think there's a, there's a, an economic incentive that mm. we give, particularly to people on lower incomes that are struggling, okay. that would be an incentive mm. in their shopping bills. What about a, a green bin beside each of the litter bins on the streets, Tommy Reddy? Yes, it would be a good idea, Michael. But I, mm. I really believe that uh, looking at Bormean Bog uh, and looking at the Bridge of the Bind there, Stickallan there, beauty spot and what's happening there, uh, it's all about CCTV. And when we, I had two ladies rang me one day, this guy opened his boot and he had two black bags, so he closed it down again. When they came back, he had, he had dumped them in at the Bridge of the Bine. Mm. I rang the environment section of Meat County Council and they had the number of the car. Uh, would they go to court? That was the first question I was asked. Like, it's, it's a barrier for the people that want to report yeah. it. Mm. But I think the CCTV and the law, is as Noel said, the fines are not paid, mm. but the CCTV is fierce important. I think if you see Bowmean Bog out of the bridge of the mine, any beauty spots, uh, Balrathwood and all those places, we need CCTV in those. It's the only way that will block it. Yeah, the worst thing, uh, I think, is probably when you see white goods or electrical oh, goods yeah. that are, are yeah. being dumped uh, yeah. because yeah. they can be recycled for free. Yes. It's much yeah. easier yeah. Uh, yeah. to go up to exactly. your local Harvey Normans or whatever right. than throw That's it right. in uh, the river. Yeah, a lot of education is needed, I can assure you that. But I still think that, uh, you know, CCTV at these spots, they're known where they are. Like, we have a mobile one with Meat County Council, but we need more of them, a lot more of them. Mm. We were speaking with Peter McVerry at the start of the programme today, and uh, I think housing is an issue that uh, you all identify as being something that needs to be tackled. Uh, We're not doing very well, though, are we, Tommy Riley? We're not doing well at all um, with with the, the housing you know, I, I see it here all the time and it's one of my, my things on, on, on my leaflet, like one-off rural housing in Ireland, it's gone. And that's the National Planning Framework guidance that's come in. Mm. Like in uh, Kildare, 80% of them are infused and uh, 
Fingal, something like 60 or 80 percent as well. And it's only a matter of time when it'll come into County Mead. Mm. I think that is that uh, not a good thing though? I mean, you were talking about the environment a moment ago, and uh, yeah, but it, we're talking about housing a second now. We're talking about housing now, Michael. Mm. If you have a young couple and they have a site beside their parents or whatever. Mm. They can build a house and afford yep. to build it. Mm. They can't afford to buy one because now you have these vulture funds coming in mm. and buying hundreds of these. It's wrong. Mm. It's very wrong. I honestly believe that uh, affordable housing in towns and villages, but mm. give us the... I have no problem with them in towns and villages. Give us the, give us the have water. Have we not got enough, though? No, in little mm. villages. Mm. I see football teams dying out because mm. everyone's going into towns. Yeah. I mean, that's what they want. They want everyone in towns. But they have a septic tank. Put in a sewage system. Mm. Put in a sewage system, and if you have if you have that, you'll you'll make the little school. Uh, this is alive like the broadband again. announcement. You want to service and everybody in the country? No, mm. no, 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 no. Not broadband, sewage, and water are the three main things mm. that should be in these that villages. No matter where you live. Yes, yes. But I would say with broadband, and listening to Professor John Fitzgerald there last week, uh, it's it's not. It should be like what the group water scheme was long ago. If 30 people wants it to pay for mm. it, and if you want to come in at their stage, you'd pay probably double the amount. And that's the way it has to go forward. But there, it's needed. It's needed because why it's needed is I was speaking to a lady in uh, Ferndale the other night. I was canvassing her. She was getting out of her car, two little children, and she was expecting another baby. She leaves at half six in the morning. She was home at half seven mm. at night. She, did, she, didn't, she wanted a hole in her head like to see Tommy Riley mm. knocking on our door. We're not doing enough for that. And that's where the train line come in. But that's where the pollution is coming in with the traffic on the roads. I mean, five hours a day on the road. Imagine 25 mm. hours. OK, what do you think, Caroline? Would it be better, rather than her uh, burning petrol, uh, to be able to yeah. stay at home uh, and live with a, a septic tank in a one-off house? And broadband, I, where she could work from home. I say, um, I have to say, Michael, I'm going to be coming at the housing from a different perspective mm. uh, than Tommy. Uh, where I've been canvassing, uh, there is such a mood of hopelessness about housing in the areas. Um, Longwood and Beliver, if you're renting a house at the moment, you're, you're being charged €1,200 Euros a month. There is absolutely a fear of rent certainty, people losing their accommodation. Meath County Council are currently spending 145000 a week on the HAP scheme. Well, there's many people listening to us saying they wish they were only paying 1200 Yeah, I was going to say, that's in Longwood and Beliver. In um, Trim at the moment, I have a lady that was on the verge of homelessness with a 14-year-old son, just got into a HAP accommodation, delighted to be in it, 1400 for a two-bedroomed apartment. Now, that's not sustainable. Um, in the Trim area, we've had 19 social houses built since I've been elected. Mm. That's, a, that's a failure in anybody's books. That's uh, in the last five years. Another, last five it? years, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. We've had acquisitions where the council have bought in addition mm. to that. But it's appalling. And mm. you've got situations where people are working full-time, mm. two people, to pay 1200 rent and they are never going to be able to get out of that situation because they can't similar say similar stories no doubt because it's a story that's replicated right across Absolutely. the country it is and I, I think um, your listeners were listening to Father McVeary early, mm. uh, earlier will sort of uh, really the issue is that the market can't provide the solution to, to this and mm. I think uh, we, the Green Party's proposed um, cost rental scheme where people we, basically the, the cost of building the house is based on the idea that you're not building it to make a profit, you're building it to cover the cost of building it. And that the people involved in that, they can 
be on a cost rental scheme and there could be an option to buy the house at a later stage. But I mean, it's 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 very complicated, but it's also very simple that, you know, you know, it's a great idea to sell off council mm. house to people and allow mm. people to get on the housing market and own well, houses. But uh, if you don't very replace them, from the government's point of view, they decided knocked. and uh, they're determined to tackle it. Uh, but Peter McVerry says the emperor has no clothes. Yes, and Andy I, says punish Fine Gael. Oh, punish Fine Gael. Or at least speakers you know, uh, yeah. at the rally this weekend said, go and uh, show how you feel about this in the ballot box on uh, the 24th. Absolutely. Uh, uh, listen, I, I meet people uh, who are home, uh, who, ha- who don't have a home, and I talk to them every single week, and uh, it is heartbreaking. It is so sad. We didn't arrive into this situation easily, uh, um, there was no thought process put into uh, public housing for maybe the last 20 years. Uh, for the last six or seven mm. years, uh, there has been no money and the focus was on mm. getting people back to work rather than housing. Uh, could could you blame people for punishing Fine Gael? I couldn't. I couldn't because uh, I would be w- one of the people in the council and Councillor Lynch here beside me mm. would have been one of the people, one of the three or four who have been shouting a lot at council about housing and... Uh, but the council, have, have, what did the council say to you? Well, sure, we can't do anything about the, it because the, of the government policy. The, which well, and, and then we, go, then we go to the minister, mm-hmm. and the minister says, mm-hmm. well, the council's not doing enough. So, uh, where do we. Maybe where, we need where, a different minister, do we? Uh, I don't, yes. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's, not, it's not an easily solvable mm-hmm. one. It's, uh, as I was listening to Peter McVerry there earlier, and I, I, I was speaking to him at, at the trade union conference on housing in Navin a few weeks ago, it's going to take time. Mm-hmm. My kids are never going to be a be able okay. to afford a house if people shouldn't, I die. If people shouldn't punish you because of Fine Gael's policy on housing, should people punish you and the other Fine Gael candidates because of Fine Gael's policy on uh, electricity pylons and the north-south interconnector? Um, that is, a, is an, another uh, uh, question, a good, a good question, an awkward one. Mm-hmm. Uh, my position on, on the pylons is... As far as I'm concerned, I don't think it's going to happen uh, because uh, there are 300 landowners right along the the, uh, uh, the route uh, that will not allow it to happen. Well, they might and end up in prison if they try to stop it. Oh, yeah. And how, how popular would Fine Gael be then if we put mm. 300 farmers yeah. in, in prison? That would be political catastrophe so they ain't going to do that so you want the farmers to go out and fight against you is the, it? the farmers are, out, are already out to fighting fight, and, and uh, I'm supporting them to come them. out and fight and against Fine policy I have gone down to, to set up blockades and barricades and I was at take the, time off work and I was get at out the protesting. on board Planola mm. uh, meeting mm. uh, uh, down in Carrick Macross and there was loads of people speaking against it and yes that's part of the democratic mm. process people coming out and protesting Every Everybody there agrees is a on reason. Look at I, I, I was I was in Carrick I was in Carrick as well. Mm-hmm. The fact of the matter is, how could they put them underground in Roscommon and Mayo with the then Taoiseach lived, and now they can't do it in Meath? They're not they're not interested. It's on the floor of the doll, and there's the leaflet there on it. There's the leaflet. It's on the floor of Dáil Éireann that that can be changed if it ever can be it changed. It should have been done it's with the, the M three. It's the se- it's, it's the seven it's the seven Oireachtas members from Meath that should be changing this. Meet councillors won't change it, but it was put on the ground uh, around Dublin, coming out of Dublin, down to 
uh, mm. Dunshockland there and it was put on the ground in Roscommon and Mayo how is that and it can't be done it can be done and it's as cheap now if not cheaper to put it on the ground only they won't agree with it look it's like the children's hospital it's like broadband Billions being wasted and people homeless. It's it, it's wrong what's going on with this. People's lives and the, the committee that's there that worked so diligently and so hard over the mm. years. But there's no one listening. There's no one listening that this. Everybody's listening though. Everybody's yeah, saying the, the same but, thing. But but, but, but uh, why 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 in the floor of Dáil Éireann is it not being challenged? Why is it not being br- bringing in something to change it to get it put on the ground? Mm. That's the only place to can be done. All right. What do you think, Caroline? I, I think it's interesting, Michael, that the across the board politically mm. at local mm. level, everybody's behind that campaign. Yep. Everybody. Mm. And um, I think it's interesting how much money, since we've all been councillors, has been spent on the PR campaign by Airgrid, Mm. you know, supporting community groups, trying to... Keeping me in a job. uh, (laughs) (laughs) No no disrespect to you, Michael. Uh, But at the end of the day... Yeah, but at the end of the day, that's quite a cynical Mm. exercise of, you know, PR Mm. spin. And if they'd put all of that in to just underground in the project... you know, nobody have a difficulty. You know, so I, I'd have to say that... This project cost in the last... Yeah, uh, crazy. Since 2007, when Fine Gael weren't in power, uh, <laughs> to... to uh, and, and the delay. They would have paid for it to be underground mm. at this stage. Yeah, yeah, well, they, I, I suppose it, it is a vital piece of, of infrastructure and it is needed. Mm. And uh, I think my personal view is that it, it's such a vital piece of infrastructure that if the, the, the cost of getting it through is underground, and I think that's worth it, whatever the, you know, not yes. whatever the cost is. But yeah, I think yeah. uh, it, it, in terms of energy independence, um, like we, we're very dependent on, on energy. Every parish in this uh, county sends at least a million euros abroad mm. in terms of importing fossil fuels from other parts, from other countries. And often internationally, that's where a lot of the conflicts are around these resources. If you look at where you know the various wars and conflicts have been, so I think in terms of our energy independence, it's it's vitally important. And keeping, I, I think for me that the the issue with the 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 undergrounding is that when you said everyone is against it, I mean we know Minister Doherty has previously discussed civil disobedience as a way of. Of, of something that she would be in favour of. And I think the difficulty the government have is that they recognise as a government that it's um, vitally important, mm. but as representatives, they realise that uh, nobody wants it. Um, so I think personally, my view would be that, you know, the price of not undergrounding is going to be more delay um, then, then we should seriously look at it. You know? Okay, well, uh, our time has actually run out and it's, uh, it's been uh, one of the quicker debates uh, this morning. Thanks to each of you for coming in to us. Uh, before we finish up completely, uh, perhaps uh, you'd all make a, a closing statement and uh, Tommy Riley of Fianna Fáil to begin. Thanks, Michael. Yes, um, I, I believe that the money that's been wasted, broadband, the children's hospital and that, the rail line should be built to Navan. That's number one. The regional hospital should have been built. And I, if it wasn't uh, slain or if it was an RD that wouldn't worry me as long as it was built but to build something to do something like the broadband or the they're going to sell all this off to a private company we're spending billions and we're going to hand this over to this American group it's wrong it's wrong it's wrong Okay Seamus McMenamin of the Green Party Well I think certainly um well, the, the environment is something that we all, uh, when I talk about the environment, I'm talking about the built environment in Navan as well as the natural environment. 
and uh, something that uh, we're seeing the the effects of climate crisis in Ireland in terms of flooding, in terms you know in terms of other um, climate changes. And I think if we need a different perspective on the council, so if if people uh, want green voice in the the council, they're going to have to vote green number one. Caroline Lynch of Sinn Féin. Um, I, I think my my real concern is that we are so short of money in County Meath. Um, you know, per head of population, we're not nationally getting uh, not getting enough money for, centrally from government to do the work that Meath County Councillors are well capable of doing, spending the budgets that they got. We're seventy million short of where we should be for the population. We need libraries, we need schools in Enfield, we need two new schools in my area in the Trim town area we need infrastructure desperately and really my concern is that Meath County Council doesn't currently have the funding to that and we need land to build houses and again compulsory purchase state buildings that haven't been used for five years okay. buy them and let us use them Thank and you. no French of Finnegan. Uh I would like people to go out on Friday and vote uh, number one for uh, Noel French because I like to think that I work hard for the community. I want to continue to work hard for the community. I listen to the people. I want to provide leadership for the people uh, where it's where it's needed. Uh, we need more playgrounds. We need we need more facilities. We need a walkway from uh, Longwood to the canal. We need a playground in Longwood. Uh, we need youth facilities in Kildawkey. Uh, we need to address uh, a certain building out in Boliver as well. Oh that is ongoing. We need a bit too. I do, of course, of course, poor old Navin, uh, uh, the, the capital city of, 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 of Meath. Okay. Thanks very much, Michael. Thank for you very much. All right. Our Thanks debates are on Facebook Live if you wish to give a nod to your supporters as we wrap up with thanks to Tommy Riley of Fianna Falls, Seamus McMenamin of the Green Party, Caroline Lynch of Sinn Féin and Noel French of Fine Gael. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, at the beginning of uh, this month, uh, an alleged IRA man, Seamus Marley, a 45-year-old man, was sentenced to seven years in prison for raping two teenage boys and sexually assaulting the same boys at a Republican safe house two decades ago. The judge, Paul McDermott, said that Marley had used his standing in the Republican movement, a movement well capable of clandestine killings to silence his victims. One of his victims is with us today and won't be silenced. Indeed, doesn't see himself as a victim and would regard himself quite rightly, it has to be said, as a survivor. Paddy McGahan, good morning and thanks for coming in to us today. Good morning, Michael. Uh, Tell us who Seamus Marley is. Seamus Marley is the son of uh, Republican royalty, Larry Marley. Uh, Royalty, I mean so much that they, they actually went to the troubles of making a film which was cast by uh, Nidge from Love Hate. Played a very good part, actually a very good film. But uh, Seamus Marley had the power, and this was discussed all the way through, mm. uh, the court case had the power to silence me. Sinn Féin silenced me. Sinn Féin may have come out over subsequent years since I'd done the Spotlight interview and said, we encouraged the victims, stroke survivors now, to go to the Gardaí. That was in one hand, and in the other hand said, no, don't. We dealt with that in 2002. Mm. We got you here meeting, we exiled them. But, the day of sentencing, myself and the other survivor, 
were good, second to the fact that we knew he was never exiled. He assured us after the second meeting. Yes, that's done and dusted. There's no need to involve the Gaudi. Now, he can come out in the media till the cows come home and say different. But the fact of the matter is, Seamus Marley was never exiled. He moved to Dublin and volunteered from 2004 or from 2002 to 2004 to work with autistic children. And from that, he moved on to travel the world to teach English to young children. So, who else is out there? Like, Right, uh, and ju- just for people who are coming to this story for the first time yes. to uh, explain, Seamus Marley had raped you and another boy uh, and sexually assaulted you over a long period of time in a Republican safe house because you're from a Republican family. It was your family home where this uh, occurred and elsewhere, I think. Uh, but eventually uh, you brought this to the attention of the IRA and a trial took place. It was called a kangaroo court uh, and it was agreed beyond any doubt that Seamus Marley was guilty of these crimes. And you were given three options, I I think, at the time. One was that the IRA would shoot him. Another was that you and the other boy could beat him up. And the third was that he'd be exiled, sent out of the country. And you've discovered since that that was not the case and that he was in Dublin and working with autistic children. That's correct. Mm -hmm. It's, It's... We went through the trial... It was one of the most, oh, there's very, it's very hard to put the words together. It was the hardest time of our lives. But we came out on top. Pierce McGill and Jerry Adams assured us that it was sorted. We were happy enough with that back then. That was in 2002. But when you're sitting and listening to this man, Seamus Marley, mm-hmm. His barristers, his own barristers read out letters of recommendations from priests, from institutions. Yes, Seamus Marley is now born again, whatever it may be. But the facts are the facts. And I I don't like an over again and again. He was never exiled. And I would urge anybody that has seen me in the past, the present or the future, if you have been affected by Seamus Marley, don't be afraid. Mm. It was a journey. But the journey has ended. You can do it. We've done it. Myself and the other survivor have done it. It's a great weight off our shoulders, but it's not finished until Drew Harris, the commissioner, brings the people to justice. For one, perverting the course of justice. And two, investigate fully Seamus Marley where he walked with autistic kids, where he walked around the world. This this is not just linked to Ireland now, it's mm. global. And I would appreciate it if Drew Harris would take me serious. And you believe that Seamus Marley abused other people? Oh, we, we, mm. we do, yes. As two survivors, and ever since Spotlight, information has come to the front of other abused people. There was an article in the paper around uh, four years ago, about a young boy, 12 years of age, that was abused in Dublin. Two girls in Derry. Many, many other victims that are sitting back at the minute, rightly so, probably thinking, 
can I do it? Can I do it? Can I come forward? Can I make a statement mm. to Gary? Yes, you can. Now, I'll give you another example of Jerry Adams. Jerry Adams done a speech at a rally a few years ago. And he said, I am Jerry Adams. I am the leader of Sinn Féin and a representative for the IRA. And by the way, he says, the IRA haven't gone away, you know. And you want to know what I have to say to Jerry? Paddy McGatton hasn't gone away either. So it's up to him. To Jerry Adams. Yes. I'm back. Uh, we asked uh, Sinn Féin before the programme this morning if uh, they wanted to make a, a statement in advance of you coming on and uh, they said uh, that Pierce McGill had advised you to go to the Gardaí uh, and uh, that's a, a, a position that Pierce McGill and Sinn Féin Pierce McGill obviously a, a Sinn Féin councillor in Laos but it's a position that Pierce McGill and Sinn Féin have taken over a, a long period of time Well if that's the opposition uh, they'll like that a long time but can I ask the people out there? Pierce McGill used to... When I lived out in Wardtown in Drumcondra, Pierce McGill would come out for his meetings. Why would an elected councillor come into your room, your sitting room, ask you for your phone, take the battery out, at the time SIM cards were only in at the time, take the SIM cards out, do the same to his phone and my wife's phone, take the, put them out in the back bathroom, we're safe enough now. That's how clever... Pierce and Sinn Féin are. At the, at, in the heel of the hunt, we've seen it there with the likes of Paddles Bean. Pierce is only a pawn in a chess game. That's, that's, that's all he is. Sinn Féin must do... Sinn Féin members, both TDs and mm. county councillors, they follow party guideline, whether you like it or not. But I'm not following party mm. line. I'm following my own line. And they can take that and they can shove apologies. They didn't even have the decency to come out and say, we're sorry. But they'll still come out and say, no, we didn't cover this up. Mm. They did. Pierce McGill hasn't spoken about this since you went public, uh, at least uh, not to this programme. In fact, he hasn't spoken to this programme at all since yeah. you, you went public. Uh, and you decided to go public after seeing Maria Cahill tell her story and that she was treated the same way by Sinn Féin and the IRA, as she puts it, and that a kangaroo court uh, dealt with her case, and that prompted you then to come forward, go public, and go to the Gardaí. But since then, we've had a a, a trial, and we were told that there was reporting restrictions that neither of uh, the people who made the allegations, yourself and the other boy, wanted uh, to be named by the media. What has prompted you to change your mind today? Uh, The simple facts. As I said to my wife before I come in here, I'm keeping it simple this time. I'm not going to go on any bombardment against the IRA or anything. They're gone. But Sinn Féin and Pierce McGill and Jerry Adams, forget about Mary Lou MacDonald. She's only a puppet on the end of Jerry's hand. That's just what I think of Mary Lou. So, reason coming out now is because as two survivors, we know that we had the strength to do this. So anybody in the country that's listened to me that was affected by Seamus Marley or any other member mm. of the former IRA... Do not be afraid. It's a, it's a process. But when you get guilty, I, I'll never forget when guilty was read out in court. I sat with the other survivor and I looked around when we were nearly finished with all the guilties and I seen three members of the jury crying. 
that's how emotional they seen they seen the torture that uh, Seamus Marley put us through on that stand mm. put all my family through he's rotten in jail albeit maybe not as long as I would like and then he has to come out and do a further two years but his own defence turned round and basically did give up the ghost at this stage they knew he was gone and they basically said look it's, we know Seamus Marley is now going to be investigated for other possible crimes and that's why I call on Drew Harris Drew don't mess around with this get it done this autistic centre had children these schools had children the parents of these people need to be notified albeit children were autistic but it's still possible that Seamus abused other people it's not a possibility I, I strongly mm. believe it because if it, if, if it happened to two people you know he wasn't afraid to you know but the very fact that he volunteered for that job is amazing and most incredible is the fact that Sinn Féin Pierce McGill and them all would have known that he wasn't exiled and that he wasn't out of the country this was Larry Marley's son royalty but this is me now the facts are the facts we have to act upon the facts. And you are speaking on behalf of uh, two people. Uh, the court found in favour of you and uh, the other boy. Uh, we have uh, the permission of uh, the other boy, now a man, of course, uh, yes. like yourself. Uh, it's uh, a long time since uh, you were a child. and uh, just, I'm I think, still young. I think both of you have said <laughs> that your childhood was robbed of you. Uh, yes. But we have a handwritten note uh, from the other survivor giving permission for this interview to take place uh, despite uh, the anonymity that uh, was requested originally yes. after the verdict and uh, you are speaking on his behalf it's very clear reading that note and uh, we'll hear more from you in a moment Uh, Polly McGann just need to take a a very short break and come back with more Michael Reed on LMFM. As I said, we contacted Sinn Féin Press uh, before the programme today asking if they wanted to make uh, a statement uh, available to us uh, before Polly McGahan said what he has said. And uh, the statement uh, we received was on behalf of Sinn Féin councillor Pierce McGough. And it says uh, the testimony of the victims in this case was harrowing. I want to commend them for their courage in pursuing this matter. I would urge anyone with any information relating to abuse to report that to the relevant policing or social services bodies north and south. Sinn Féin's advice at the time was to bring the allegations of abuse to Angarda Síochána. As adults, that decision was for the victims. We support their stand and commend their courage. What do you make of that, Paddy McGann? That's, that's the way it's been. It's the way it's been for so many years. But I'll, I'll just go back to the point I made. Why would Pierce McGill want to come into my house for a meeting with me and dismantle phones. Shouldn't have to if if he'd nothing to hide. Why would you take out your batteries and SIM cards and the whole lot? As I repeat, because a smart aleck got on to me one day about a previous interview. Oh, should SIM cards, they weren't filled. SIM cards were only in at the time Mm. of some of these meetings. So to protect their party, he wanted to make sure nobody was listening. I'll give you an example. Mm. I went for a meeting with the other survivor, with a family member, four years ago. And I hope this guy, he knows who he is. And I hope he hangs in his head in shame. He tried to record the conversation and only for his phone timed out, we'd never have known. And we just got up and we terminated the meeting straight away. Now he, 
is possibly listening this morning. Mm. So hang, hang his head in shame. To try and, and you know, shut us up. Like, you go to Shin Have Fein there been there. others who've tried to shut you up? Oh, many, many people. Mm. I, I, I'll go back to... You've uh, been vilified, actually, haven't you? Oh, yeah. Mm. But I went out for the All-Ireland Final. And just because I am who I am, if I had, just because I wouldn't say hello to him, decided he wanted to attack me. You know? But I dealt with all that. I took it all on my shoulders. Even though the other survivor took it all on his shoulders, he would have been taking similar trouble off people. But he took it on his shoulders. We won the case. Seamus Marley's in jail. But we want to make sure, again, that he's fully investigated in all parts of the world he was, especially with them children in Dublin. And as far as Pierce and Sinn Féin press officer saying they told us to go to Ali, no. It was never an option. That was why the kangaroo courts were there. We have dealt with it. Are you happy enough with that? Mm. Yes. We had Seamus Marley. So then if you go to paperwork from the past, here's one from Tuesday, December the 2nd, 2014. Jerry Adams out ice skating in the dark. And it, the headline is, there was absolutely no cover-up. And then you fast forward nearly four months after that, Jerry Adams admits he... He didn't report Paddy McGatton's abuse claims to Gardy, and he was wrong to do so. That's him. We weren't allowed to do it, but he was. So they can say, they can say what they want. So they, go on. When you're told you're being supported uh, in this statement by Pierce McGill, do you accept that? No, no. Pierce and when, Arthur when Morgan, he says when he says he commends your courage, do you accept that? I, he can stick out whatever statement he wants. Uh, myself and the other survivor have the courage of a lion. And we would hope and pray that other people will see that it is possible. Mm. Don't be afraid to sit in the background anymore. I'm not sitting in the background anymore. The people, as I say, the likes of Pierce and Jerry and Adam Morgan, going back, they can put out whatever paperwork or statements they want, but they should be uh, prosecuted for perverting the course of justice. If it was, if it was me, I'd be preferred. I'd be done. Uh, then IRA itself, the team that was there in that house in 2002, April 2002, as you see, there's my diary mm. from 2002. That'll go back into a safe, well away from anybody. But that has evidence in it. So that, that's, that's going to leave my hands when I walk out of here. But that has evidence in it. So there's no point even looking for it. It's gone into a safe down the country. But statements can be issued, feelings can be hurt. But the, at the end of the day, we survived. Uh, you got your day in court and uh, Mr Marley is behind bars and will be for some time to come. Uh, he's uh, been convicted, is now... Uh, registered paedophile and uh, will be treated as such when he's released. Uh, you're concerned uh, about others who may have fallen victim to him and that that needs to be addressed and you're also concerned uh, about what you believe uh, it would seem uh, very sincerely to have been a, a cover-up and you want that to be investigated. Uh, is there anything though that um, the members of Sinn Féin who you've named today can say to you to 
make you feel any better or is it too late at this stage? Oh, it's it's 27 years too late. It's 17 years since the kangaroo courts. It's over and done. They, they told us, they helped us in 2002. Now fast forward to where I'm sitting. And in court, as I say, my stomach fell to the ground when we realised, and it took courage not to say it, uh, that he wasn't exiled. And they could, it, sh- mm. Pierce, he stood outside the house in 2002, shook hands with us. I told you I'd deal with it. No need to talk mm. to the Gardaí. OK, it's clearly not the end of the story, but you're at the end of a, a very significant chapter because of uh, the court verdict. Uh, our time is running out, Paddy, uh, and I know that there's some people you wanted to mention and to well, thank for that matter before you finish up. First and foremost, I thank my wife for sticking with me. It, it, most marriages would have split up long ago, but she's the best. My kids, brilliant. The, uh, be- the best part of sitting here now today public as I can thank Pat Murray, he's retired now Nicky Kelly, Andrew Waters Seamus Nolan mm. and Seamus Nolan, all guardy mm. uh, Dave Clifford Ardy Barracks, but first and foremost, Dave O'Sullivan shoulder to shoulder all the way through for the last four and a half years, not only is he a guard but he's a friend and a true friend that's stuck by me also like to say thanks to my mother and father for standing by me, my sister Bernie, my brother Mickey, and the rest of the family that stuck by me. Thank you very much. We would never have got through it. I applaud you all. Has it been difficult for the family? Very difficult. Very, very difficult. Emotions. We we stuck together. This will not be easy, me going public again. I understand that. But, as Conor McGregor said before, I'll apologise to absolutely no one. Because that court case, it's over and done with. But it was like going through 20 rounds against Conor McGregor. So I've come out the other end. So has the other survivor. And I applaud everybody that was there to help us. Paddy McGahan, thank you indeed for coming into us this no morning. Bother. Thank you very much. Sound. That's our programme for today. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie LMFM podcasts. Brought to you with Cartmacross Credit Union, where dreaming of warmer climates becomes a reality with a Cartmacross Credit Union holiday loan. O'Neill Street, Cartmacross or cartmacrosscu.ie Even on a budget, Quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.